Alright everybody, welcome to the 126th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, here in Rip City, and I got my man, Dave Stone Live and Direct in Beaverton, Oregon. And man, this is definitely your flu game right here. You you look sick. I remember one episode we had with Dan Carbaugh. I was just done. I could I like I did one intro and I was done. I'm hoping that you can provide more content than I did when I was sick. So, how are you? Is is it quoting Dame? Are you going to be flu game sick tonight? Absolutely. All right. All right. If I didn't feel like I could be at my best, I wouldn't be here right now. <laughs> We're I fuck with that actually. Right? Hell yeah. But the the Trailblazers coming off a, a they're still in the midst of their Eastern Conference road trip. Uh, another two and one week has them at uh, four and two in the Western Conference, tied for the the third best record with a slew of teams, including the Clippers, your Pelicans, Utah, San Antonio, and not too much to complain about. And for listeners of the show, you might say, "Whoa, Dustin, you really are feeling under the weather." If you're not going to be complaining about the Trailblazers a whole lot, but no, I, I'm pretty pretty content with the way they are playing right now and if you look the week that was it started off on thursday with a 128-114 victory over the orlando magic uh led by damian lillard who had 34 36 second half points uh he backed it up again the following night in miami to become the, the first trailblazer since 1989 which was clyde drexler to have consecutive 40 point outbursts unfortunately this time it wasn't quite enough as the heat went on a late surge to defeat the trailblazers 120 to 111 and then tonight Portland handles a very talented Indiana Pacer team in Indianapolis, 103-93, some strong defense, great bench effort, and overall, Portland is, is sitting pretty at 2-1 and one as they go into the final game of their road trip tomorrow night in Houston before a very important uh, mini homestand. Sage, let's kind of kick things off. Over the, the past week, what, what stood out to you? I mean, it had to be Damian Lillard going Super Saiyan three games in a row. I mean, he he, he hit forty every single game, right? Or what at was least the third game. He only did it against Orlando in Miami. He was actually fairly quiet against the Indiana Pacers. Uh, Sixteen points on only uh, five of thirteen shooting. Damian Lillard was the engine that made us go in in those games. He didn't have to do it tonight, but man. It was a. It would have been possible that we would have lost to Orlando if Damian didn't have the a Damian Damian Lillard type superhero game. Oh, absolutely! Our defense was atrocious in in that contest, and every time we looked like we were going to put them away, we would just give up another three or you know putbacks inside, and we just couldn't get a stop. And that's really been Portland's calling card this year. Tonight was the first night. In six contests, we held an opponent under 100 points. And yes, I know the NBA is up in pace, up in scoring, but still a little ridiculous. Portland needs to figure out a way to play defense without fouling at a, at a rate that they're going at currently and find a way to get stops because I think stops are what's going to be key for this team down the stretch because, as you mentioned, I've been I've been pretty impressed with with Damian Lillard and the entire Trailblazers offense. But, but back to Dame, you know, real quick uh, against Orlando, had that pretty 
pretty me- me- mediocre, quiet, mundane first half. All of a sudden, starts getting heckled and just goes off, finishes with 41 points, 13 of 23 from the field, 5 of 10 from 3, uh, finds time to hand out six assists while only committing one turnover and pulling down seven boards. He does it again the following night in Miami against the Heat, uh, 42 points, 15 of 28, 5 of 11 from three. Again, exact numbers, six times, only one turnover, seven boards. Unfortunately, that start in Miami really held Portland back. I don't know if they were out too late getting drinks. You know, Evan Turner just turned 30. They're in South Beach. You know, the South Beach fluke. And it's it's known to take quite many teams down in uh, in the state of Florida. But regardless, heading into tonight's contest, Dame was averaging, I think, 33 or 34 points per game. He was leading the league. Obviously, that's going to go down a bit. But he really looks like he has taken his game to the next level. And he just kind of continues to surprise looking at him coming out of the draft in 2012. You're thinking, okay, this is a four year guy. He's basically a finished product. He's going to be solid and durable. He's just going to be that, that engine that could on a nightly basis, all of a sudden he starts becoming clutch and he gets, you know, the, the reputation for, for Dame time and always come coming up big when it's needed most, uh, hitting the shot against Houston, making all NBA teams, making, uh, all-star teams leading the trailblazers when LaMarcus leaves like the the top five of the top six players leave a few years ago. He's the only one remaining. Portland goes to the second round of the playoffs fourth in the MVP voting last year, first team all NBA. And he just continues to grow and continues to impress Sage. Realistically, have we seen his ceiling yet? I mean, it, it sure looks, it sure looks like there's room to grow. There definitely is room to grow. Every year, you see a new wrinkle he adds to his game. Last year and this year, there's a huge difference in his output on rebounding, so he's focusing on that. And offensively, you see him probe the offense, like go under the rim and then check to see what's happening. And those are just some wrinkles he can add to his game. There's always things you can develop later on in your career. So I don't think he's maxed out anyways. He's, oh, there's always more you can add. And the, his defense is getting better. Everything's improving with Dame. But I gotta address the thing that pissed me off the most in the Miami game. Damian Lillard gets hurt. You remember uh, Goran Dragic sort of grabs his arm mm-hmm. on a Hassan Whiteside screen. And then the announcers are just like, giddy. Like, Dame's gonna really bust their ass now. And I'm just like, yo... A player on our team is hurt. You f- first instinct for me, at least, was like, "Oh fuck! Oh fuck! Oh fuck! Is he all right? I hope he's all right." But with these these people, they were like, "Oh, this is gonna th- th- he's gonna bust some ass now. He's gonna bust some their ass now." It's just like, man, you can't even think about like your player's well being before you talk about like his motivation. Like, what if that injury was legitimately bad? Like. You wouldn't be talking about how Dame's gonna bust their ass or how this is the motivation we need to get over the hump, which we, I mean, we got close but lost. So it's like, man, all that shit you're saying, I mean, I, I guess being, I mean, we're Blazers fans. We should know that injuries happen. We've had such bad luck with injuries. So there really isn't an excuse to like be excited about like someone po- getting their arm fucked up. I don't know. That just pissed me off a lot when I watched, watched that uh, broadcast. 
Yeah, it wasn't the the best choice of words by the broadcast team. They've always been a little weird in in my personal opinion in, in some of their, their storytelling or, or their word choice. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, you, you know Collabro just picks the most, like, aw- he's it's, awkward. He's awkward. It's, it's not even, like, he's just odd. He's not, like, you know, there's an awkwardness where you find charming and endearing. He is just odd. He'll just find, like, the most, like, awkward shit to say, and then just say it like it's nothing. Like, man, you do know there's another way to phrase this that makes it, like, at least family appropriate sometimes, because he does a lot of, like, sexual innuendos when he talks. It's like, damn, dog. You know this is, like, a family audience, man. Like, if I was there, I wouldn't be using that turn of phrase, but I mean, he's been in the the game a long time. I guess I can't criticize, but god damn. I just felt it was such an inappropriate time for him to, well, for Lamar to think about how Dame is just gonna start beasting because his arm hurts. Yeah, I would say, back to your point about Dame adding in new wrinkles, what I've really noticed over the past few years is the increase in frequency in regards to the amount of free throw attempts he's able to get on a nightly basis. I think the game against Washington really told that story. I think he got to the line 13 or 14 times Mm -hmm. and ended up with almost 30 points and he shot like shit. You take a guy like CJ who's still learning how to do that. I mean, CJ has, has never averaged more than four free throw attempts per game. Mm -hmm. And that's this current season. He's at 4.4. And he's so talented. He should be at the line more. And I think that's what's holding CJ back. I mean, he's, he maxed out at a 23 point per game score in 2017. That's his, his career high to date. But to get to that near 30 point per game level, you really need to, figure out a way to get to the hoop and Dame is now averaging 10 mm-hmm. free throws. That's per hard game. level. That's hard level. That's Jordan level. That's Kobe level. That's Durant level. That's how those guys keep their teams afloat. Yeah. Cause Be- the times, I mean, we're so desperate for easy baskets. Now that Ed Davis is gone, like a perfect way of getting that is going to the line. And I, I've seen Dame definitely attack the, the rim more. I, I'm, I, I just remember that that late the first game of the year when he was doing that and just falling straight to the ground off of him off those like dunk attempts. So that scares me. But like, I think the problem with Dame is that he's really like really cut. So it he has like he has to like incent he, he has, has to, to embellish. Yeah, he has to embellish to get to the line. And you know, people talk shit about like how that's you know like the Harden way, but like. Dude's cut and dude's strong. He's one of the more strong guards. So most of those hits that would hit, like mess up like a Rondo type or a Isaiah Thomas aren't really going to phase him because he can finish through the contact to score. Exactly. I mean, refs call what they see and, and a lot of the times reactions get the whistles. And, you know, looking at Dame, I was thinking about it today. To me, he's a top eight player in the league. I mean, if, if he's really in that category right now with LeBron, Steph, KD, AD, Giannis. Um, Kawhi, I'd put him in there. You know, a healthy Kawhi is up there. And, you know, I know I'm probably forgetting another another guy. 
uh, Harden. Um, the- <laughs> That's crazy that it took us that long to think of Harden. Like, the Rockets have just been so shitty this year. Well, Harden is one of the most, I think, talented offensive players mm-hmm. in this generation. I don't know if his 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 game translates or, or transcends eras like uh, a Durant or a LeBron. They think they could play in any era regardless of defensive rules. I think Harden really tailors his game mm-hmm. to to this era. And, you know, credit to him because that's how the game is being called. Um but Dame, I just I, I watch this team play, and he may not be the best player in the league, but you'll be hard pressed to find a more valuable player because really, without him, we're about a 19 win team. I mean, I just Easy. don't see yeah. us winning a lot of games. He comes in, he is very poised, he knows where to get his teammates set up, and it just seems like when we needed a bucket it just gets to the point where you feel like it's it's going to go in. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really nice to have Dame on our roster right now, just having that he's our security blanket. Like he is our safety net right now. And um, to me, he's playing at an MVP level. And it's, I feel very, I would say, not thankful. I'm happy for him that he's having this start because I think his reputation took quite a, quite a big of a hit after the the sweep the Blazers were were handed to to them uh, by the Pelicans in the postseason. I think he took the brunt uh, of that blame when in reality I don't think his teammates um, stepped up enough. Well, now, they, did, Dame, uh, did Dame have the best performance? Absolutely not. Like I think he'll be the first to say it, but just like. In anything, there's always a scapegoat, and I think the the average fan or the public in the media's eye, they they painted Dame as the scapegoat for that series. Well, there was that narrative like Drew is Dame's daddy and all that shit, but like let's be real about what that defense is because I think we're going to see what the Pelicans did when they're against us many times. Like in that Miami game, you saw it. Like they, the Pelicans switched really hard. And made Dame pass it before they set got up rid of the double team. So that the entire Pelicans game plan was to make Alfred Camino shoot, Harkless shoot, like all the people that you aren't worried about killing you shoot. So like, of course, that's not going to do the be-, be the best thing for Dame when he's the right basketball play is to kick it to the open man, but that open man is kind of streaky with this three point shot. So like. That 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 scheme that worked so well was designed to trip up Dame and ZJ. Like it's hard to operate an offense when there's two dudes really aggressively trying to steal the ball from you. I mean, it, that's just the truth of the matter. So of course, you know, Pe- Darren Arm is a smart dude. So that's what they did, and that's what they ran to perfection. But now in Miami, dude. D- he was going for his. Like, he would try and split the double. He was doing his thing. I think he's going to have to do that a lot more when there's the teams with the aggressive guard and an athletic big that are just going to try and, and do the hard double every time there's a pick and roll. I mean... Yeah, and, you know, we started this podcast by talking about what what's caught our attention over the past week, and obviously Lillard deserves that limelight, but... Factoring in other elements and components of the Trailblazers, for me, it's been the bench. Mm-hmm. And I, I know two weeks ago on our season preview, we talked 
And I stated, I think there's going to be a lot of times this year where the starters look fantastic and the bench is going to blow us the game. I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's been the exact opposite. I mean, we almost blew that game in Indiana. We had a 13-point second quarter lead. We brought our starters back in. They erased that and went on some crazy run to to end the half with a lead. And it wasn't really until our bench came in the fourth quarter and and took control of that Mm. game. But, you know, I rag on Deal O'Shea. I think a lot of us do. But I'll give credit when it's due. Nick Stauskas was a fantastic signing. He is never going to be recognized or remembered as a defensive stalwart. Um, But he is one of the most accurate sharpshooters there are in the game. It's to the point where every time he touches the ball, I think it's it's going in and he's he's done it in in big moments. We saw him opening night against the Lakers on TNT. We saw him hit the potential game-winning three. It was a really quick catch-and-shoot against the Wizards um, last Monday in in Portland. Um, He did it again tonight, and he just had a couple of back-to-back threes, which I think really sparked spark the team. He's putting the ball on the floor. He, he made so many beautiful plays to Zach Collins. They've already got a really nice, you know, one, two, you know, um, chemistry on, on the court. You look at Seth Curry, who, you know, if you would have told me at the beginning of the year that Seth Curry would be the one that's a little bit underwhelming and Nick Stauskas would be kind of the, the star. Exactly. But, but Seth Curry, he's, He's not hitting as as accurately as I would have expected, but but even then he still helps spread the floor and he's another capable ball handler. Um, and then of course you know we got to talk about Zach Collins. I've I was been I've been pretty tough on Zach. He he looked pretty rough in summer league. Didn't show me a whole lot in the preseason, but for whatever reason, maybe he's a regular season guy. When the when the lights come on, he just is able to to turn his game up a notch. He seems to play really well uh, when he's paired with uh, talented players around him. And whatever his confidence has been through the roof, he's hitting the open three. He's not forcing it. What I love about so I think Zach Collins is the ideal big man in terms of the frequency and the timing of three point shooting. You know, we see these bigs start living on the perimeter, but he kind of shoots it and it's cliche, but he shoots it in the rhythm of the offense and he's hit a couple of big ones. Um, I think he's shooting something like 90% at the line this year, uh, which was a problem area for him last year, despite having a pretty good stroke. And then the footwork is finally coming together. Last year, we talked about him not being able to post up Jameer Nelson and get buckets on him. He put Sabonis through the spin cycle a couple of times, and he really looked fantastic with his footwork. Very calm, cool, collected down low, and patient. He took his time and didn't rush it. Um, he moves without the basketball. He can play the four and the five. I'm, I'm, I don't want to get too excited, but I'm finally starting to believe that hype, drink that Kool-Aid that, okay, this guy could really be worthy of that number 10 pick in that incredible draft. And I'll say this right now. If Yusuf Nurkic doesn't pick it up. Yeah, he, oh, absolutely. I wasn't about to ask you, bro. He is going to see his time reduced because Zach is coming for those minutes. Mm-hmm. And like Zach in this day and age, like you said, in this day and age of basketball, man, like 
he is a better fit defensively than what Nurk can do. Because let's say let's let's time travel back to that Wizards game. There's no way Markeith Morris is going to get those buckets on Zach as opposed to what he did against Nurk when it was just like bread and butter. That was a bread and butter that game. Zach would have uh, definitely made life more difficult. So, yeah, Nurk has to really be thinking, yo, this young guy is going to take my job because you, I, I, I think Chief is too valuable defensively in that starting lineup to take him out. So it like if Nurk keeps playing like he is and Zach keeps playing like he is, Zach's gonna be that starting center. Yeah, I think the beauty, at least for this year for Portland, is they're able to match up with teams. Uh you look at Orlando, I think Nurk is the right guy to start. Vooch has a lot of mass down low. However, you look at a team like like the Wizards that probably should have been Zach because they they play a lot of stretch stretch bigs and their even their their small forwards are pretty lanky. So for this year, I think it, it's good for Stotts to kind of mix and match. For Zach to I think be a full time starting center in this league, he's still going to have to get stronger and he's still going to have to work on his rebounding because that's that's still where Nurkic that's his bread and butter. That's that's the value that he's bringing to this team but there's no denying how important and necessary it is in today's day and age to have a guy like zach collins who Mm. is able to switch that pick and roll and hold his own honestly i really wish we had noah von lay because i would start von lay and zach at the four five Um, and noah von lay has been killing it in new york too I think those two would have paired perfectly. You could have moved Chief to the three, or you could have brought him back in as as the four. Um, could have traded him. Exactly. And so, it, for thinking of you know topics that that really have impressed us, um, it, Dame the bench. I mean, the bench puts up fifty four tonight. I mean, just when I think they're kind of a fluke. Um, you know, that Laker game happens, Stauskas puts, puts in 24 and, you know, you, you get flashbacks to Pat Connaughton doing the same thing opening night last year against the Suns and him kind of fizzling out. Well, it, it really hasn't stopped for, for Stauskas and the bench, the show didn't stop as soon as they left the friendly confines of, of the, of the mm-hmm. Rose Garden either. I mean, they've took their show on the road, um, and have really kept us in, uh, a lot of games. I believe were the, I could, I could be wrong. I believe we're the highest scoring bench in the league. And um, if you would have t- that, that to me would have been the most the, the, yeah. a- egregious statement that anyone could have told me prior to the season. But I'm giving credit where credit's due. Terry Stotts has found a rotation that works. Olshay went out and found Stauskas, who I think has been a gem. I think they got a lot of internal growth from, from Zach Collins and, so far, so good. And as long as Evan Turner doesn't, I know he hit one tonight, as long as he does not take a shot outside of the paint and can minimize his turnovers, there's a lot of things that, that this bench can do because you you know the starters, starters will figure it out. Um, but if the bench can keep it up, I think that's what's really going to make Portland uh, a scary team. But to kind of flip the script, and you know we like to see all sides uh, of the coin and, and talk talk through the good and the bad something that really has been kind of bugging me lately sage has been yusuf nurkic and oh, i can't i thought you're gonna talk about the other guy 
I came in really excited about the possibility of him being a defensive player of the year candidate this year. He looked amazing in, in the preseason and this week he just did not show up. I mean, he had 18 and 10 against the magic, which we said good matchup. The game against the Miami heat was probably the worst game I've seen that he I can recall. Dem- he got demoralized. That's the thing. Like Hassan just bodied him. And you could see, like, the, 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 his body language was like, oh, uh, fuck this shit. I'm done. Because, like, when you get your shot blocked so easy and then you get outraced for rebounds, I, he's not strong enough mentally to be able to just fight. Good, good one. He's not fight enough. He's not strong enough mentally to fight through that adversity. And when Hassan just took his cookies, like, one, one of the first plays, it was just like, oh, fuck. This isn't good for us. The play that embodied it for me was second quarter. Nurk had the ball at the top of the key. Isoed against Hassan. He went one-on-one, dribbled in towards him, spun towards the basket, tried to give him a little move, and Hassan had nothing, just sent it back. And I was like, you're done. You have to go to the bench because he was getting out hustled, not worked by, you know, Hassan Whiteside's a good player, but we lost that matchup just by leaps and bounds. You know what pissed me off? There was a play, I think, in the first quarter. And this is when I was like, we got to take him out. Like, there was a ball that it was not in Nurk's area of rebounding, but it wasn't far out of it. And he didn't do shit. And then I think Rodney McGruger picked up the ball and scored. Like, I feel like that shit is unbearably annoying, first of all. And you probably should be taken out when you aren't even hustling a little bit on the boards, which, you know, like, we need him to get boards. And if he's not motivated to move a little outside of his range, there's people on that bench that would be motivated to do it. And that's what pissed me off. That was what soured me on him that game in particular. I mean, I think you're absolutely correct. Um, Outside of his offensive performance against the Wizards and his overall performance against Orlando. I haven't been too thrilled with Nurkic. He let McGee dunk all over him in the opener against uh, the Lakers. We obviously saw what happened tonight. He once again picked up early foul trouble outside of the opening possession, which resulted in a dunk. He was a non-factor. He again looked kind of sluggish up and down the court. He definitely looks unmotivated in comparison to like, Preseason. Preseason, he looked like a motivated man. Now it's just like, uh, fuck. Why? And, and, and do we, what would be your insight? Into, obviously, we don't have any accurate information, but what would be your your reasoning for, for why why is that happening? I think what we're going to have to do to keep him motivated big is, you know, like, you know how teams script the f- opening plays in the game? I think it is, it's going to have to be Nurk heavy and get him easy buckets. Because I think when he gets those easy shots, he's more motivated to run for you in the third and fourth quarter. But I don't know, man. Like, he's making real money now. He probably shouldn't need to, like, get those special motivations anymore. Like, he's on a second contract. He's, like, marketed as the third big, or the third in the big three. So I feel like he probably shouldn't. But I have to remember that he is a younger younger gentleman, so... But... 
I, I guess it's feed him early, and if he's not motivated, pull him. But I, I guess that wouldn't do well for his confidence either. I guess that's why I'm not an NBA coach. I mean, I think you, you do, you play the guys who were, you play the five best who give you the best chance at winning. I think everything is rooted in winning, and right now Zach Collins is is making winning plays. Um, what did you think about Caleb Swanigan's performance tonight? Real quick against he was the, looking active, especially on the uh, rebounding side of things. He was looking good, and he got some nice like Kobe assist uh, easy bunnies. He was looking pretty good, and it wasn't like a a glaring weakness defensively with his lack of lateral quickness. So 11 points, 10 boards, first double-double of his NBA career, both were career highs in 19 minutes, four of six from the field, an impressive three of three from the charity stripe, um, did commit three turnovers and have five personal fouls. Oh, he was picking but, up some fouls pretty like He's kind of a foul monster. But for your fourth or fifth big, absolutely, he came, he came in and he did he did provide a spark. And I thought as his best possession of the night was actually getting the ball at the high post and he had made that that amazing bounce bounce pass that resulted in free throws so i I think swanigan is going to be a player with with mo harkless's injury that that now moves up the rung of the rotation and he's going to be another situational big yeah i think he's a situational guy just like Myers Leonard is. Absolutely. If you need to stretch the floor, you bring in Myers. Well, if you need, what, what if you the, need the Ed Davis role, mm-hmm. you bring in Caleb. Well, what, what was it? It was in Miami where he was the finishing big. I mean, like, there was just that glaring weakness for that stretch big, and Terry Stotts threw in Myers, and Myers hit some shots. He missed that one clutch rebound, but, like, he did a serviceable job, you know, playing center. He forced us on to be outside. Yeah, I thought Myers actually played incredibly well. He and Zach were a nice tandem at the four and five. I know when Myers hit that three, I just gave a big hell yeah, brother. Um, that was that that he caught it and shot it, no hesitation. Um, yes, he made that snafu on the rebound, but that wasn't the reason we lost. Um, hmm. I feel like we're missing somebody, and it, it's a pretty glaring person to our team. How have you felt about the streaky? And yes, I mean streaky, CJ McCollum this year. I mean, CJ's my guy. Everyone on the podcast knows that. But I think of all, and I'll say qualified NBA players, meaning you're at least a starter or a six-man-of-the-year candidate, of all qualified NBA players, he might he, he might be, judging by the last couple of years, the streakiest player in the entire NBA. I mean, yeah. he can get you 50 points in, in 30 minutes, but he can also, you know, go two of 20 and mean, be, from the and, field. And then his guy happens to get, you know, score on 50% of his baskets. I think CJ McCollum is extremely scoring dependent. And when, you know, he's hitting, yo, I forget the fact that he's scoring dependent. But when it's not hitting like, you know, he can be. You see the glaring weaknesses. Like sometimes he's just a glorified Eric Gordon, and you know how much I hate bringing that man up in a podcast. So, but like, there are games where it's just like, oh shit! If this is a if this is a negative matchup, like if let's say Brad B or Chris Middleton's on him or something, you can tell that this is not going to be a CJ game. But when it's a plus matchup and he's hitting, goddamn me, it's fun to watch. I mean, I'll say this. 
a glorified Eric Gordon is a fantastic NBA basketball player. However, I don't know if you can win long term with that player as your essentially your 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 Robin to Dame's Batman. There's a reason Eric Gordon is a six man. We need more than just scoring from from CJ, and I think that's been the big complaint about his game is he's he's not rebounding the ball for a shooting guard he's he's not setting up his teammates and he's not traditionally a defensive stopper so his job is to get buckets and when he doesn't what is he bringing to the table and, and I, I think we're we're hearing a lot of that that chatter right now and, and granted we're, we're five six games into the season but he's currently shooting 38% from the field, which is the lowest of his career. Um, he is shooting near 41% from three, which is where he's um, been at since 2014-2015, which is an incredible clip. Um, his free throws have dipped to 82%. He was the NBA's leader two years ago at 91. And you're getting about four boards and two assists, which just... That's Eric Gordon. That's yeah. that's Darren and, uh, Anderson level for Blazers. And right now he's under 20 points per game. And I think in today's NBA, when scoring is up even more, I would have expected CJ to be, be closer to 25 points per game than 20. I mean, if you're if you're going to be taking 18 shots a night, you can't be scoring 19 points per game. Like the one to one ratio there. Not is, good. That's some is completely off. Yeah, that's exactly. And that's why we talked about getting to the free throw line. And we really need CJ to, to figure out a way to draw more fouls because uh, I think Eric Gunderson tweeted this out earlier that when CJ made his first um, layup, that that was actually big news because he was shooting, I think, something like 14 or 19 percent from the rim uh, this year. And anybody who has watched the game's has noticed CJ has not been able to, to finish around the rim, whether he's getting blocked or just, you know, not converting. Um, hopefully it, it's a shooting slump, but um, Portland is, is going to need him to, to really start to hit because it, it's evident when he shoots the ball. Well, we win. Mm-hmm. But like he, we're ragging on him, but it's because we think that he's supremely talented. He just needs to, when he's not on fuego, contribute something else. There yeah, needs to be a bonus for like, oh, I'm not hitting, but I'm going to make sure Myers gets this open shot or, you know, playmaker a little bit more, rebound, box out. Like he's just not at, he's just not stuffing that stat sheet like we would want a traditional two guard to do. Yeah, and I wouldn't say we're we're ragging on CJ. What we're saying he's aware of. He's probably harder on himself than anyone else is. I, I think if this is who CJ is as a player, that's fine. Every team needs somebody who can create offense off the dribble, who is uh, an elite scorer. I mean, he's one of the best pure scorers we have in the game. And I think it's safe to say that he'll never be an average rebounder for his position or someone who's going to get his teammates involved in, in the offense. But what he can control is the amount of times he's dribbling per possession. Um, if he is out of rhythm on, on a night, not to force up shots. I mean, there are some shots you see him take and you're like, okay, that, that that's a good shot because you're hot right now. Or 
you you've really got to be open to shoot right now, CJ, because you are just killing us offensively. Mm-hmm. And there there are those shots when he, he dribbles and he's extremely talented at at basically the sports center top ten highlight of dropping a defender. Um he did it against San Antonio. I think he did it to Bryn Forbes or mm-hmm. Patty Mills, one of the two. Yes, Forbes. He can do that, but sometimes he gets caught up in that too much. Oh yeah, and like it, you know the 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 Blazers media does the the CJ's victim unit. Yo, of course you know he sees that shit. Like of course he gets caught up in that shit. But it's not the most valuable thing for us as an offense for him to just try and like and one just body somebody's ankles. Sometimes it's one really quick cut pull up for that open mid-range jumper. And that's like the best offense you can do. Like there's sometimes where we don't need 15 dribbles in a possession type of thing. And, you know, for CJ, I'll say this. Um, we're still in October, which is, is crazy for me to get used to the fact that we will be playing, you know, seven, eight games in the first month of the season when traditionally the first month of the season, me growing up has been either the season starts on Halloween or in November. So the season is still supremely young. And outside of that Washington game where he was five of 25, it hasn't been super egregious. It hasn't mm. been just, you know, you're scratching your head saying, Hey, please stop shooting the basketball. And he will find a rhythm. He will find a groove. I mean, he's too talented not to, but it's something to take into consideration because Portland is a good team. We're we're not a great team. And we're, I think looking at our schedule, we've played a handful of good teams and in some dogs. When we really get to the elite teams, more times than not, it takes a combination of, of Dame, CJ, and the bench. Mm. I mean, you you just need all of those things to click to beat those elite teams. Um, we're not good enough where, where CJ can have a, an off night or Dame can have an off night, and we can win a majority of times against a team like uh, Golden State or Boston or, or Philadelphia. I mean, just to beat those elite teams, we have to be clicking on all cylinders, and CJ is a part of that cylinder piece of injury news was released before tonight's game in in Indianapolis. Mo Harkless is experiencing more soreness in that left knee and is sidelined. And I believe it actually, excuse me, I think it happened Miami's game. Mm. Like, didn't it happen around? Did he, he didn't play against the Heat, did he? I don't. Well, I can check one second. But how are you feeling about this this new development? He played ten minutes, went uh two points, four rebounds, and an assist. An assist. That's right. They said he would not return. Um, it's really hard with, with Mo Harkless because there's times where he feels like the most important trailblazer on the roster, and there's other times where you forget he's on the roster. And right now, it, it's. It's the it's the latter because he's been injured all summer, didn't play in in the preseason, and he's been coming off the bench, playing pretty sporadically um, throughout the the entire season. And if you're a, a Blazer fan, I don't know if there's really anything to take from it because Mo Harkless 
I think he is what he is as a player. I think he's he's a pretty good three and D guy who, when he gets hot, becomes that that true X factor. We saw how important he was during that thirteen game win streak. He goes down, the team st- kind of collapses a little bit. This year, I think the dynamic's a little bit different. I think they figured out that the bench role a little bit more, and with the emergence of a Zach Collins taking some of that, that four time you can have a menu play a little bit of the three Portland has definitely gone smaller um, with, with Seth Curry in that three guard lineup. And then I think Stauskas has been the reason we're forgetting about Mo Harkless a little bit because he is playing the majority of those, those small forward minutes during, during the middle of the game when, when typically we would see Mo out there and, you know, Mo definitely, was more of an aggressive player in terms of offensive rebounding and, and a defensive hawk. But Stauskas is more of a playmaker and that knockdown shooter. So um, you're trading off a little bit, but recency bias says Stauskas has been a, a huge impact and you look really no further than that that opening night performance. And he's really only continued to impress. Like he doesn't look like a one-hit wonder. Yeah, he's, he doesn't look like a minimum contract player right now. But at the same time, man, there's going to be matchups where, holy shit, Mo Harkless would be so useful in these, in these sort of matchups when it's like a bigger team with like a plethora of wings in the backcourt or on the bench. You look at that, at the roster and you see Mo Harkless in his Armani suit and be like, damn, we wish you, we could have, you could play right now. So there's definitely going to be games. In in the future, depending on how long he's out, where it's just like, oh, this team would win this game if you were here, because sometimes the three guard lineup isn't the uh, the answer for the other team. Well, I think that's where Zach Collins kind of comes into play. Him being able to play the four or the five allows Chief to play the three or the four. And then you can kind of go based upon that. But I do agree. Harkless had a pretty nice stint opening night against the Lakers as a four in the small lineup. So I don't know. I don't, I'm not. It's too early to say it's a lost season for Mo Harkless. But I think we're at a point now where we need to shut him down for quite a bit of time. Yeah, reevaluate in like a few week type of thing. I mean, maybe a month, because if, if you figure he comes back in the playoffs he has five, six months to heal in the summer and still is experiencing this. It's something serious, man. It's got to be surgery. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see a lot of Mo Harkless this year. I mean, I think if you're a Blazer fan, you need to kind of expect the worst. That's my inclination. But again, Stauskas really takes a lot of that sting away. And I you don't... Think- I, I was just trying to say, like... I really do like Mo Harkless, but it feels like we played the entire season already without him. And mm-hmm. I know he's played a couple of games, but he's he's just been he's had kind of minimal impacts. It, it wasn't wasn't the Mo Harkless of that thirteen game win streak. Um, I know the season is long, and we're gonna we we would have needed him at any point throughout the remainder of the next seventy six games. But you know, right now, I think we're. I think we're surviving. I think if you're going to lose anyone, and this is shitty to say, I think we can afford to lose a guy like Mo Harkless at this point in time, given the current construction of the roster. Yeah, yeah, you can definitely say it. But man, like, 
he's one of the few tradable assets. If he was 100% healthy, he'd be a tradable asset for us. And I know, like, with all the stuff that's happening, we can't really think about trades, but, like, a healthy Mo Harkless still has value in this league when 6-8 players are such a rare commodity that can play defense. So it's like, that's a bummer. But I, I get where you're coming from. Right now, we haven't really ne- needed him. But, man, I, I definitely hope for him, for his sake, that he can... We can figure out what's wrong with that knee and rex rest and recovery will be the thing that helps cure it, not going under the knife. Well, absolutely. I think he needs to figure it out because next year's a contract year for him and he's gonna want to be healthy going into that season because that's what's gonna get him his next his next deal. So, you know, take care of yourself, Mo, if if you're out there because you don't really want to screw up that that next deal. You don't want to go you don't want what's happening now to happen in your contract year because you're you're liable to end up with a, a Stauskas or St- Seth Curry type of deal where you're taking either the minimum or just a couple million, and then you're really going to have to go out there and prove yourself again. So that's not ideal if if you're Maurice Harkless. Yeah, and then like I know it's it's important for your career to play, but take a look at what happened to Quincy Pondexter. He hid his injury from the New Orleans Pelicans staff to, for them to make that playoff run. And it took him three years to basically recover from that knee injury. So you, you definitely don't want to push it when the team can handle stuff without you. So be smart about like what's best for you. It's going to be a big, big week for the Portland Trailblazers. Previously, they've gone two and one in consecutive weeks. They're sitting at four and two. Uh, pretty good if you would have told me four and two at this point of the season. Um, I think you have to take it. I think it's the minimum. Obviously, you don't want to be three and three with the schedule, but anytime you can beat the Lakers and the Spurs, and you're already guaranteed at least a split out on the road. Um, you gladly take it and you just try not to uh, minimize any more losses. Obviously, looking now, the the wizard loss is going to come back to haunt us because that team is falling apart. You've got Brad Beal and John Wall basically subtweeting in terms of, of interviews uh, saying Otto Porter Jr. needs to, to, to shut up. Um, they're, they're just falling apart internally. And then Dwight Howard's butt. Dwight Howard was out with literally a sore ass. And then the Sacramento Kings of all teams went into Miami and handed them a double digit loss. So that loss isn't looking too fantastic either. And Portland really needs to make sure you beat mediocre Eastern conference teams, regardless of venue. But I guess, I think luckily for Portland, they're going to be put to the test. And Mm. I think they're a team that when they're challenged by the NBA's best, they bring their best. So it brings the best out in them. And it really kicks off tomorrow night in Houston against the Rockets, um, followed up by a six-game homestand. Um, I'm going with you to the Pelicans game on Thursday, and then a rare home back-to-back Saturday, Sunday, Lakers-Wolves. We're going to cover these four games. First off, Houston Rockets, who are struggling mightily at the moment and will be without the services of the reigning MVP, James Harden, who was out with a hamstring injury. The Rockets are just one and four. They've lost three straight games, 0 and three at home. Sage, tell me I am wrong 
for thinking the Rockets are going to get right against the Blazers. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, I mean, it's totally possible that they will, but let's, let's talk about this team, man. Last year, they had some sharpshooters that would spread the floor so, so James Harden and CP could get to the lane at ease and run, pick, and roll with Click Capella. Now, they replaced those shooters with Carmelo Anthony, James Ennis, and P.J. Tucker starts. So there really isn't that type of shooter. And with James Harden out, it either forces Eric Gordon to play or, I think, shoot, is it MCW that starts at the two? or what? Who's they, def- they have Michael, Michael Carter-Williams as well, yes. They don't have the shooters to just abuse you when you leave them open on a like a, a pick and roll where James Harden or CP gets the hoop at ease and then you send the help and they just get abused. Now, you can freely send help and if Michael Carter-Williams is hitting threes, well, you know what? You can tip your cap to them. Have you watched this team? Uh, yes. I, I watched a little bit opening night against the Pelicans. The Pelicans put up, I think, 130 or 140 piece yeah. on on Houston. Um, they lost by 11 against the Utah Jazz. Only scored they only scored 89 points in that contest. Uh, they gave up 133 in a 20 point loss against the Clippers at home. Um, yeah, you're they're looking not a good at team right now. So they they did start Eric Gordon in that contest. I mean. When he's not shooting well, they're really not going to get much. I mean, you really got – they might have the worst bench in the league, especially yeah, well, if they're Yeah, I think Michael Hart-Williams is the worst player in the entire league right now. Well, they've got Gerald Green, who noted blazer killer, Gerald Green. Uh, Michael Carter-Williams, uh, Isaiah Hartenstein, a uh, rookie from Spain, son of former Oregon Duck Flo Hartenstein, uh, fun fact there, and some guy named G. Clark. Like 12 minutes. Who, I don't know who yeah. G. Clark is. One second. Yeah, they got players I've never heard of now. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. I can't say I'm upset for them or anything. Um, Let's see. Like, who, Jesus, that's sad. I mean, they're still a scary team because they have Chris Paul. and Chris, But Damien seems to always get hyped for the Chris Paul matchups. But you can't take away what Chris Paul as a player has done in his career. So it's like, yeah, like if Eric Gordon's not hitting, if Clint Capella, you can't, if there's not enough space for Clint Capella to do his thing, they're a very beatable team. But man, there's always that chance that they they just get up right against us. Um, I think for us to win, we'd really have to make those those non-shooters beat us with the shooting. So that means James Ennis is shooting some pretty wide open shit. That means uh, Carmelo to start is going to be shooting a lot of wide open stuff. But I would rather deal with PJ Tucker or James Ennis shooting than Chris Paul running that pick and roll with a bunch of room to spare. This game comes down to two factors. It comes down to the Damian Lillard Chris Paul matchup at the point. Dame has to win that matchup. Chris Paul has traditionally given Lillard fits. And this just reeks of a game where Chris Paul is going to be able to have a 30-20 performance and, and lead Houston to victory. You know, they've been embarrassed 
uh, a few times in a row. They're probably trying to circle the wagons. Portland's on the final game of a four-game road trip on the second night of a back-to-back. And history says Paul is going to get the best uh, of Lillard. So Dame has to win that matchup. He's got to figure out a way to stay out of foul trouble. And he needs to make CP work on defense. Whoever is guarding Paul needs to really go all out because he's going to have his hand full running that show offensively without James Harden. So, you know, Eric Gordon doesn't want to handle the ball. Um, PJ Tucker's a spot up shooter. Capella just wants to catch the lob. Um, Obviously, Carmelo wants the ball at all points of time. So if they can give the ball to Melo, by by all means, you know, take the rocket and get out of his way. Second, Portland needs to make Carmelo Anthony mobile. And what I mean by that is we had success against the Thunder last year, sweeping them 4-0. When Carmelo was in the game, Portland made their runs. It was when uh, Jeremy Grant came in for the Thunder, who played a much more athletic four that OKC looked like the OKC team we all thought they were going to be. Carmelo is going to get a lot of playing time, and Aminu needs to just be his worst nightmare. He needs to crash the glass. He needs to move on defense. He needs to move on offense and hit a couple of open threes. Make make Melo move is, is, is the slogan for this game because he's not, he's not going to seek rebounds, Carmelo Anthony. I mean, if it comes right to him, yeah, he'll grab it, but he's – at this point in his career, he's he's not a maximum effort effort guy on that end of the floor. So I think you have to attack Carmelo Anthony, especially on second chance opportunities, and and really force him to go one on one on offense. I think Carmelo Anthony, if Portland's going to win this game, we're going to have to just have Carmelo play a ton of minutes because we know how to get the best of him, and Chief is a really fantastic matchup for us. Yep. Um, so on Thursday, a TNT game. Wait, wait, well, what are you oh, doing? Oh, 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 what? What's your X factor, bro? Uh, our defense on the pick and roll between CP and Capella. If we shut that down, we win. My X factor is going to be the Blazer bench. My newfound love of the Blazer bench because... We just rattled off a bunch of no names for Houston. If Portland puts up another forty or fifty spot on, on with, with our reserves, I think Portland wins this game running away. And Portland's going to have to need to play ten, maybe eleven guys because this is their their third game in four nights and the second night of a back to back. So I, I'm really looking for the bench to have a, a big big part in this game. Sage, what does your gut say? Does Portland get this win to end the road trip? I think, they do. I think they do just because James is gone and Dame is just going to get it in CP and uh, they're going to shut down that pick and roll. What about you, my friend? I hate to do this. Oh shit. We do not play well in Houston. I cannot remember the last time we have beaten the Rockets. It, it's, it's become the new house of horrors for the Blazers ever since that 2014 playoffs where we stole the first two first two games at home. I just have a gross feeling that a guy like Gerald Green's going to have like 30 points, seven threes. Eric Gordon's going to get his groove back. Pella's going to be a nightmare on the lob. And then Chris Paul's going to have a Chris Paul game. And, you know, we're going to be tired. I think it'll be close, but the, the Rockets have been embarrassed a lot lately. Um, if Portland can get out to a good start, they could win this game. But I've 
this this is just a, a a spooky feeling I've got during the spooky season. So I'm unfortunately going to go Rockets in this one. Um, a TNT game, which means well, we're going to be there, so we don't have to worry about the Blazers broadcasting. But it is the New Orleans Pelicans versus the Portland Trail Blazers. Mm. Would you say would you say the slumping New Orleans Pelicans two I losses was, in a row? <laughs> well. I was very proud of how they performed in the fourth quarter of this game, but uh, I think it's two different teams when the Pelicans are dealing with so many injuries. Anthony Davis has a hurt elbow. Alfred Payton has a hurt ankle. And then the sharpshooter Darius Miller has a hurt thigh. (laughs) I'm not even looking at you, bro. You (laughs) Sage is over here talking about injuries, and I'm like, hmm. Not having it. <laughs> Our starting small forward possible is is out. Um, we're the Trailblazers. We've dealt with more injuries than any franchise in history. So don't don't come don't come to well, me. Not recently Sage, though, buddy. We're, we're, Sage, no, we're talking about who was going to be at the game November first. I don't playing? I don't I don't know if AD or Peyton will. So it's two different teams, really. If if AD's out, go big. You force New Orleans to have to put in a bad small forward. If they're going, if AD's there and Alfred's there, you go with your normal set. But what I would think in the closing minutes of that game, Zach Collins at four, forced Nico Meritich to be out. And because it seems like New Orleans is scared to put him on the perimeter defend, to defend. So they like sub him out and put Solomon Hill in. So if you could force them to make that switch themselves, it takes away a lot of the shooting from the Pelicans. And then you really only have to focus on each one more because the rest of them are below average shooters. So so, you, so you're Terry Stotts. Mm-hmm. How does Portland defend Nico Miritich, who absolutely shredded our defense in the playoffs last year? Well, I feel like you can't leave him open. You got you to gotta tell your Al-Farouk, all right, man, you got to just play third grade defense. Don't, don't help at all because when you help – it incentivizes the pass, and when the New Orleans are passing, it's a beautiful style of offense to play. Uh, the Blazers have to worry about the pacing. New Orleans is the number one team in terms of pacing. So if they can play their ball, which is more slow and then methodical, it forces New Orleans to play that style. It's a lot of it's a it's a clash of styles, and I think so, New Orleans, I mean Portland, has to play big. So let's assume Anthony Davis is playing. Terry Stotts uh, elected to go with Aminu on Davis during last year's postseason, which left Nurkic roaming the perimeter against Meritich. Mm-hmm. Will we see that again? Or has Terry Stotts learned from his mistake? You know, I, I can't answer that for Terry Stotts, but I would put, I would first of all double him like LaMarcus, but I would probably put Nurkic to start on Anthony and then put more of a mobile guy on Nico Meritich. And Julius Randle is a very high variance player right now. He's dealing with an ankle injury. And he doesn't look like this himself right now. I'm sorry. I know this team well. I won't talk about any other team this in detail. has nothing to do with detail. <laughs> it's all these built-in excuses I'm already hearing. <laughs> Jesus, guys. Oh, man. Injury, injuries suck, man. We, we, you, you know. You've, you've experienced injuries in your in your fandom. God, I'm going to have to sit next to you for two and a half hours. Oh, yeah. About- oh, yeah. <sighs> I mean, let's just get down to brass tacks. Blazers are going to win this game because they're going to atone for getting swept in the playoffs. Dame's going to go super nuclear. Everyone's going to quiet about that talk. And I think Zach Collins and Nick Stauskas, 
Stauskas spreading the floor, Zach Collins being somewhat of, I wouldn't say a stopper, but he's going to limit Miritich. I hopefully yeah, Miritich he does. definitely has the length and the size. So and second then, unit, who's guarding Anthony though? Well, I was going to say or Julius. Julius Randall, I think you could get away with. Um, you might even Zach, get or Caleb. Collins to be I think Caleb. I would not put Caleb on Julius. Julius is too quick with the ball in his hand. Not that, with that, an ankle injury. He's still too quick. Okay. So we talked about him earlier in the podcast. This is going to be CJ McCollum's oh, breakout. Oh, fucking Lutley. He had an amazing performance against them in game four. He's got that that herky-jerky way to to get through the teeth of that defense, and I, I think he's going to have, have a big night. I think Blazers take – they enact some revenge, not all of it, because getting swept is embarrassing as shit. But uh, Blazers, they're going to win. What do you say, Sage? I know I'm taking all of my jewelry off before I enter that game. I'm not trying to get mugged. Um, I think that the Blazers will win, but it's a very close game, and that's going to be worse for me as a, a fan of both teams. All right. And now we've got the the – the, the odd home back to back. I mean, it's great for me because that's that's my weekend right there. I'm just going to watch going both. Uh, Lakers game. Yes. Nice. Was it as just as expensive? I don't know. It was part of my ticket package. Oh, okay. Good shit, so, Portland. So the Lakers make their return. What like 15 days after the the home opener and um. There, there's already a little bit of trouble brewing it in La La Land. The Lakers are two and five. They, they've dropped two straight games. Um, I think they beat Phoenix for for one of their, their their victories and Denver. Denver for the other. And all of a sudden, it was like, ooh, are LeBron's Lakers back on? No, they're not back on track. Uh, Rondo and Brandon Ingram are back from suspension. Yeah, Ron, did you see that Rondo like bad bad miss like? He had an open yes. layup. Okay. Yes, saw that classic Rondo, um, but Lonzo has has been getting the start. I think for Portland, it's kind of a gift and kind of a curse that you're playing the Lakers this so early? soon. Yep. Um, the gift is the Lakers haven't figured it out yet, and I I hope they haven't figured it out by by Saturday. The curse is the Lakers pretty much know what Portland's going to do, and you can bet your ass they're going to have somebody glued to Stauskas. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he's going to be that that surprise factor. But if I am Terry Stotts, I seriously consider starting Zach Collins out on JaVale McGee because we cannot let him loose. I think Collins is going to play a big factor, even more so, um, because he was that cog in the third and fourth quarter. He finished that game because his ability to switch the pick and roll and defend a lot of those drives. He swatted Rondo and Ball and I think Kuzma a few. He had six blocks, a career high six blocks in the opener. So look for, for Zach to have a big night. And if they're going to guard Stauskas, that might leave Curry um, a little less attention mm-hmm. spent on. So he could have a big night. I think Dame does what Dame does against the Lakers. Um, until the Lakers beat us in Portland, it's always going to be beat LA. It's always going to be Blazers over Lakers in the Rose City. So I've got Portland. And you know what? I, I think they might do it big. Ooh. Uh, I think the Blazers win, but I don't think it's a big. I meant like eight points. And it's like a 
it's like a last second run by Dame. Like Dame scores the last eight and puts us over the top type of type of game. But it Blazers win. The last game of the week is the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, they are three and four on the season, and no team has experienced so much turmoil so far in this young season than the the Timberwolves. Still have not found a, a resolution for Jimmy Butler. He's still on the roster. Woj reported the Rockets are willing to offer up to four first round draft picks, the maximum amount. Um, allowed for a team to offer during the the current CBA structure and really they have not looked good. I mean Carl Anthony Towns has has regressed significantly. Uh they lost Jamal Crawford in the offseason who was a, a noted blazer killer so Portland does not have to worry about him. Uh their point guard situation is is sh- shaky at best with Derrick Rose and, and Jeff Teague and they're just an enigma of a team. I would say they're the the Washington Wizards of the West. And with that being said, they scare the living shit out of me because of that. Is uh, do you think Wiggy will be healthy with that right quad contusion? Because they started. Uh, he missed two already. I mean, it's tough to say. We're recording on Monday. The game's on Sunday. I'm going to assume he's going to play. But whenever we play the Wolves, he's never my first priority in terms of who who keeps me up at night uh to me that's going to be jimmy butler um Mm. because he's a bigger guard he traditionally plays cj pretty well the teams split the games last year the four each team winning twice on their own home court um honestly this game kind of scares me more than anyone this week, and that's crazy because you know the, the hype of the Lakers and the talent of the Pelicans, and obviously on the road in Houston. But Sage, we play we play really bad. We play really weird against some some streaky teams, and like I said, this is the definition of a streaky ass team. So oh, the reason I ask about uh, Wiggy is they have this rookie Josh Ogogi. This mm-hmm. rookie Josh, who has a hard name to pronounce when it's when it's ten thirty at night, and he's been putting up some pretty damn nice numbers as the as the starting shooting guard when Wiggy's out, and you know how we Wig Andrew Wiggins is one of those hyper talented God gifted athletes, but man, he he he's like CJ and doesn't get rebounds or assists. So to have someone that's kind of consistent that Jimmy Butler doesn't have like extreme beef with. Might be, might be a good thing for the the Timberwolves. But I think they will be the Timberwolves that night. I'm going for a 4-0 week, bro. 4-0. Sign me up for that. That would put Portland at 8-2 and two and definitely have Rip City Spirits riding high. Three and one's nice, but I'm... I'm tempted to go two and two. I... I'll say win just because it's at home, but I've got the same vibes I do against the Wizards, and we all know how that game played out. So um, be on the lookout for that, Rip City. Um, I don't even know who my X Factor I, th- I think Portland just has to show up. They have to have energy. It's weird to have a home back-to-back. The crowd's really going to need to get involved. Um, we really need Chief Aminu to really break out. He's been pretty cold throughout the, the stretch. So if we can get either CJ or Chief to, to heat up with the rest of the team, 
you know, I, I think I, I like our chances. Again, you know, our, our bench has been a godsend. If they can keep playing at this level, it's going to give Portland a much larger margin of error than I could have ever imagined going into the season. So, you know, fuck it. Let's just go win for, for no other reason than I'm a, a huge Blazers fan. <laughs> Man. All right. You got any plugs you want to plug? Nah. I think, you know, it's uh, 1030. I'm a little under the weather. About yeah, to get you, some sh- you need to get a nappy poo or just go to sleep back. Yeah, there's no nap. There's a full six, <laughs> full seven or eight hours. You, you're going into REM sleep to, uh, directly. Once we turn the Skype off, you're going into some deep ass sleep. Uh, for me, check me out on Mixer.com slash the stage. We're working on some dope shit. And uh, I was on the radio last week. Didn't curse once, man. Was real proud of myself. Bless up. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> hey, I only have a broadcasting degree. It's not like I'm a professional at this shit. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. I think Dustin's going to crash. I'm going to play video games for a few hours. Thank you for listening. We'll, we will be back next week with that real shit. Let's go, Blazers. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!